Let's go, let's go! Move it, move it, move it! Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm New London Chamber of Commerce recording secretary Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with beautiful lighthouse keeper Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. Falling in, sir. Welcome back to season seven at last of Quaid in Full. Have we any pod business? I've just awakened from a long podcast's, uh, what's the term, sabbatical nap, and uh, I assume (laughs) nothing has happened. I did check the Denisons, despite the fact that the motion detectors we installed, the batteries went dead, but so did the podcast, stayed that way, RIP the Denisons. You will not be missed. I did have this weird experience, though, um, I don't know if you're watching The Boys, on Prime. I have been holding off on that when, because like everybody else that I'm around on a day-to-day basis is not going to be into the gore and the sort of like, hey, that's a red mist where a head was kind Mm, of vibe of the boys. Um, So I've been judiciously trying to avoid too many spoilers. I've seen a couple scenes already where I'm like, oh, fuck, that's great. I'm very excited. But I've not had, uh, what's your defamiliarization or or unusual boys experience been? Um, Well, I'm sort of up to date on it um and this isn't going to be spoilery but it stars jack quaid who i guess in season i don't know 38 we'll get to it if we live that long but we were watching it the other night we were a couple episodes behind and uh then we flipped back to regular tv and we'd had it on some like deep space stars with a z auxiliary channel prior Mm. to watching the boys and when we came back into that channel what to our wondering eyes should appear but quaid senior with a greasy merkin on his face grumbling slash crooning at a tiny newborn alien and before dan could even finish the phrase what the crispy fuck is this i said enemy mind season three episode two way to listen to our podcast (laughs) and he's like would that have prepared me for this site and i said no not really but anyway we'll we'll link that in the show notes but that was just a weird thing to be watching spawn of dennis quaid and then to click back over and see spawn of zardoz on regular tv or that bizarre kind of blonde beard that he had that looked like when Michael Palin plays like Fim Bim Wim Bim Lim Bim silly candidate for uh, <laughs> yeah or the Jabberwocky or something I mean like some very I, some Monty Python project you're like that is a BBC wig from 1974 and it costs like three shillings That's- yeah it seems high so ugly a caveman could do it yeah absolutely But that's all the pod business I have, and I think probably, finally, I hope, knock wood, that we can stop with the Denisons updates. Okay. All right. Shall we move on to yours, mine, and ours, by which I do not mean Denisons updates, but in fact, the 2005 movie that we are contemplating today? Uh... I was, are you asking for my permission or I mean, I know <laughs> let's do it <laughs> based on your defeated tone. No, I'm not. Um, I don't know, but I've been told that in this remake of a sixties picture, <laughs> not sorry, starring Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda, Dennis Quaid's Frank is a coast guard rear admiral. <laughs> with eight kids. Renee Russo's Helen is a fashion designer, hold for more giggles, with 10 kids, 
and a beleaguered stunt pig. Prom royalty of the new London, Connecticut class of 1975, Frank and Helen rekindle their romance. Frank proposes off-screen. They get married off-screen. And it's time to buy a converted lighthouse and blend the families. This goes exactly how you'd expect in a family film that came out at Thanksgiving 2005 from the same brand family that brought us Double Dare and You Can't Do That on Television. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Made actually finally pulling the clip worth it. Part of our permanent collection. Uh, Anyway, there's lots of hollering slapstick and candy-colored goo, but the littler kids bond immediately. However, the teens and tweens, whose number includes the poor man's Beverly Mitchell, the poor man's Amber Tamblyn, and the poor man's Josh Hartnett, and we can argue over whether Josh Hartnett is himself the poor man's Josh Hartnett later. This podcast is not called Follow Your Hartnett, so let's keep the line moving. (laughs) They can only agree on one thing. They got to break their parents up. And it works until it doesn't because everyone's accidentally learned important lessons about found families. So the teenage kids bust out Chekhov's sailboat for a reunite cute that worked a hell of a lot better in the original Overboard, in my opinion. An outgoing answering machine message is successfully recorded at last, and we're left wondering how the fundamental LDS hell Frank and Helen are trying to feed 18 kids the beleaguered stunt pig, and a couple of dogs, and pay Mrs. Munyon, and keep Mrs. Munyon in booze, and hire an attorney in the matter of aggrieved hamster versus Sherwin-Williams and the Beardsley North household on a Coast Guard salary and a consignment deal from Saks that, P.S., we didn't actually see getting signed? Did I miss anything? You didn't, and uh, I'm glad that for once it wasn't me immediately going to like, well, we're, the feeding logistics, like an, an, an army and a family travels on its stomach. How are they doing this? Uh, like, I always feel tremendously dadly when I watch a movie and I'm like, there's, there's just no way they could get that laundry done. No. Just this real rudimentary logistics issue that uh, I, I maybe made me a little bit more empathetic toward Dennis Quaid's character because I was like, this man is going through the same calculus that I am. I am not a maniac. The one thing that you did not include, though, was a uh, that I think we should sort of use to front talking about the movie is this quote that I read on Wikipedia, which I thought really nailed it for me. After nearly 15 years, the film was released on Blu-ray on February 2nd, 2021. Like, not really a rush for anybody involved <laughs> that, that a high-fidelity version of this be issued. And I think um, if the, the production companies behind it, There's a Nickelodeon, MGM, Paramount, and like something else, they had a lot. Like, nobody in there was jumping the gun to go, let's get a copy of this out no. to the American people. And that they dropped it like Groundhog Day? Do they all just look around and they're like, let's just sneak this out. Oh, has anyone had their vaccines yet? No, dump. I I mean, what? It was apparently released on the same weekend as uh, like Harry Potter and the Philosophers or like one of the, you know, one of the Harry Potter sequels, which suggests to me that nobody really had any optimism for it by the time they got around to, you know, like putting the credits on the front and the back. Yeah. I'm not sure why you bother. And like, if the delay was a rights clearance issue, like um, there is a lot of mid aughts 
musicality on here. And um, like there's a party that the oldest kids have in an attempt to break their parents up due to like disagreements over discipline styles. And you think that that's actual Blink-182 playing the party because it this movie was made in 2005. And also, I've never seen Blink-182. They could look like anybody. Yeah. Actually, in Re-182, it's a Christian faux punk band called, I think, Hawk Nelson. Hmm. So it's like, how much trouble could you have had clearing that? And also, why would you bother? Because... I mean, we can sort of fold the contemporary reviews in here, I suppose. They were uniformly kind of like one and a half out of four, two out of five. Ebert not in the mode we often see here at Quaid in Full, which is let's make the best of having to go to this screening because all of these reviewers were in. This is the week before Thanksgiving, and a lot of these are literal turkeys and we're over it and we're not giving anybody like we're not grading on any kind of a curve. Mm -hmm. None of them liked it. None of them thought it captured the originals quote charm. And my primary issue with the remake, which I didn't hate, but like, I think there's certain anxieties of the late sixties turn of the seventies that you saw in pop culture comedy back then that are completely estranged from how we understand intimate home life now mm -hmm. like people get divorced but in pop culture of the time like everybody's widowed so that you don't have the exes around as part of the plot and also everyone had a million kids because i guess they really had not fine-tuned the pill it's just a very different vibe like that this would be considered possible like that that this is something that would happen this situation among people in 2005 is just boggling to me it just doesn't translate was that an issue for you or you just thought the movie was bad qua well i think coming from seeing so many hallmark movies the you know <laughs> convenient efflorescence of widows and widowers is <laughs> like that doesn't hit me as much right um the sheer total was a lot like you could have probably knocked like five kids off the total and still had it been an overwhelming movie and maybe made yeah. it a little bit more plausible but what i think hung me up is that they're just piling trope upon trope upon trope with the family so even what is challenging for suspension of disbelief becomes almost impossible because you're not only trying to get past well they're 18 kids but it's like it's a slobs versus snobs story because yep. each family you know one is uptight and gets shit done one is free expression like speaking of which i wonder if like what held them up rights wise was they weren't going to break away from having express yourself play right before they met renee russo's uh helen's family right which is just like could you not find a more obvious cue? Is that like, could you not gone for like something happened in here? You're like, whatever, just like make it really obviously like it's the sixties. Yeah. But you've got, you know, so you've got the 18 kids and then you've got the slobs versus snobs. And then you've got like, obviously the movie predated the Brady bunch or maybe was like co-equal with its start, but you've got a Brady bunch and then you've got a reverse parent trap. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's just a lot. Like, so if you made that, like, you could do all that with like eight kids, but if you're doing it with 18, it's just like gilding. There's going to be a lot of laundry, Lily. I don't know. I mean, it's just. Yeah. And this is the second 
property we've contended with that's a remake of something that you could believe this happened in sort of the middle of the last century because there was no internet and people could just disappear out of each other's lives. And that was why there was a whole segment with this shit on unsolved mysteries. And then Al Gore invented the internet and it was no longer plausible at all. It was kind of touching though, that they had the bit where he, he Googles her name and, you know, in an era before social media and he he Googles (laughs) her name and he gets like 11,000 hits and he's like, well, this is fucking useless. Thanks. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that was like this weird. We had a nice little 10 year period where it was difficult to find people on the Internet. And also we hadn't created a bunch of apps that can only increase people's access to fascism. Well, and nobody in the movies has names like Doris Jalewski. Right. (laughs) So then he correctly like he puts quotes around some of the search string. Like this is the shit that I'm thinking about in between giant set pieces that the movie thinks could be cleaned up even by 18 children who don't want to get grounded in an hour yeah i mean i got gum in my hair once in like 1987 i think it's still there like do you do you not understand how substances work but that's not the point of the movie and i think some of the reviews were a little uncharitable That it's like, it's just a whole bunch of food fights in different venues. And then there's like a Home Depot, like renovation supplies fight during which, not for nothing, Dennis Quaid is festooned with store bunting. Thank you. Hey. Didn't need that, but I'll take it. Um, I didn't hate it. I like it. I don't need to watch it again. I acknowledge that it's very dumb, but I also didn't hate it because I think I just accepted that. Like, it's a Nickelodeon product. They've got a whole wing of that studio that just makes candy-colored slime. That was exactly the attitude I had when I saw the Nickelodeon logo pop up as one of the production companies behind this. And that immediately took some of the, I don't know, the speed off of my, like, there's something wrong with that fastball, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I just, I (laughs) was like, all right, I understand the baseline that we're dealing with here, there is going to be a level of unreality. You know, kids are going to be able to throw kids who are not necessarily popular at school can throw ragers instantly that get 800 people and that are, don't mind doing things like riding bikes down the staircase, like all that kind of teen movie logic works. Yeah. And so the little kid movie logic works too. Like gum just gets out of your hair with some, uh, some no more tear shampoo. I mean, come on, get with the program. And I think it helped Quaid too. And like, maybe this is better safe for like the Quaid section, but uh, seeing him be an admiral in a Nickelodeon movie is a much different experience than seeing him be an admiral in like a focus features film, you know? (laughs) Yeah. As soon as like, oh, 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 okay, 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 all right. Well, I saw the orange thing. That Go right ahead. Be an admiral. Yeah. I mean, I started out with the, all right, we have to view this through the, you know, orange-colored prism of a Nickelodeon picture. And then the inciting incident happens pretty quickly and off screen. Yeah. So clearly this movie is committed to just like big literally splashy set pieces with a lot of airborne Crayola paint. And it's not about realism. And they just immediately throw all credibility to the wind at like minute 19. 
Mm -hmm. And I sort of respected that, that it's like you really, I think in a movie like this, just have to accept that there is no believable universe in which this is happening. And you have to accept it on, like, you have to grade it on what it's trying to do, which is lock a handful of five-year-olds un unwatched, like, un, uh, supervised. unsupervised, that's the word I want, with a giant bowl of marshmallows that has its own congressman. It's like, well, that's, you know, that's what this movie is. And you have to accept it on that basis um yeah i did also in that scene there's a kid eating gummy worms like clemenza going to town on spaghetti when they go to the mattresses and like that's all right i god bless you for doing that yeah but, uh, but no i mean i like the, the earlier point that you made about like just getting right past the well are they going to fall in love they're going to get married right into they've moved in mm-hmm. like that is a very good clear signal like the adult concerns here are not our concerns like we're getting to the situation part of the situation comedy and the comedy eh i mean you have this many kids and like your odds don't go up that they're going to be good <laughs> <laughs> i have one clip from sort of the main section of our discussion that it it sort of gets everything into one clip that This must have been a fucking nightmare to schedule in terms of the child actors, but also directing them to sound even in the neighborhood of good, not always a success. And then there's the snob versus slob issue. Um, This is the scene in which the respective parents are telling their kids like, oh, well, we just went and got married. And here's how we're going to deal with that as families. You got married? With, without telling us? Yeah, yeah. Sir, at least when you were reassigned to Guam, there was an email. Who wants the talking stick first? May I have it, please? Yes, Jimmy. Are you crazy? Yeah, I mean, in the captions, there's a lot of um, things that are like bracket, overtalk slash screaming, end bracket. I mean, Jimmy, whose name is spelled the same as Jimi Hendrix, like... There's nothing here that you don't expect. With that said, five. Yeah, I had the same thing. I was like, as many shortcomings as I might want to find in it. Like, I watched it with, if I were a kid, my parents put this on, would I enjoy it? And yeah, I would. Yeah. As I grew older, I would enjoy it less and I would find more holes and it would get worse. So five. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't really know how to reconcile those two. Like, how does it become a bad movie just because you become better at parsing you know, literature and tropes, like it doesn't. I mean, it was meant for you when your brain didn't do that. And it did nice things to your brain before your brain could start going, well, that doesn't seem logical. You know, like you see a kid eating gummy worms like Clemenza. Great. Yeah. (laughs) That owns. Or like there's a grown up asleep in a rowboat filled with stuffies. Yeah. In a lighthouse. Like this is bunt nip. This was the dream and parts of it still are for me. And and that moment, like that image is legitimately funny within the context of the movie. You know, you've, you've already had the, the Chekhov's boat thing happen at the start on the my way. And you're like, yep, of course mm-hmm. it's going to have a name like that. And so to see him like on his belly with his, his lips kind of skewed and open and, uh, and sleeping in the the dinghy from the SS My Way. It's like, yeah, that's what you get, pal. <laughs> uh-huh. You you messed with double digit children. That you should never have done that. Yeah. And oh my god, all those stuffed animals. 
<laughs> like I was just pricing them. I mean, it's not possible to completely turn off the part where you're like, how the fuck? But it's sort of like how in the Brady Bunch, the show, they're shown in the bathroom. There's no toilet in there. Like, we're not going for verite. Well, I mean, they're all smooth down there like Ken dolls mm -hmm. anyway. Exactly. Okay, so we're both at a five. Um, Quaid qua Quaid. I am fascinated to see what you do with this. I really struggled with where to put the number. I don't have a clip. We may, uh, you may put a cocaine sound drop in here, but <laughs> like, I think that energy was actually called for. Like, you'll see in the visual aids, which often appear on our Twitter account at Quaid and Full Pod, there are some. Like, even for a kid's movie in which he is covered with sunshine yellow smegma, it's like, that's too big, Dennis Quaid. Even for this, that's too much. But he seems to really be enjoying himself and may have agreed to do this for his own kid or one of his own kids. I don't know, but I think he's actually okay. He's believable as a Coast Guard admiral in a children's comedy. Right. He and Rene Russo have not great chemistry, but they look nice next to each other. And like, you don't really have to believe that they're going to do it. And in fact, you hope that they don't because Jesus, <laughs> I don't know. He's in a lot of it. I wanted it. I'll tell you right up. I mean, like I wanted to give it like an eight. Um, I think it's like, that's where I was. As soon as you see like that, he's in the Coast Guard, not the Navy. You're like, okay, Dennis mm -hmm. Quaid can be an admiral here. Yeah. I mean, there is something kind of reassuring. The movie lets you know, like you get the big orange Nickelodeon logo. Then you find out that he's in the Coast Guard. Then you find out that like he reports to Rip Torn and like his best buddy is David Koechner from uh, The Office and Anchorman who like immediately seamlessly transitions to like, so you dating again? I mean, like in, it is so hallmarky in its attention too. I mean, there are all these inputs that go in that let you know, like, you don't, don't worry. We're not taking Dennis Quaid too seriously here. So it's not going to be too jarring. And then that playful smirkiness can come through more in a, a, an innocent uh, paternal way. And yeah, like I got that, the impression that maybe he was doing it for his kids. I definitely got the impression that maybe if the director didn't tell him what he told himself is like, all right, be this character as you would be this character for a five-year-old or a seven-year-old. You're not acting this at an adult. You're acting it at a child. And so that helps all the, like, he's an authoritarian, but he's not that kind of authoritarian. Like, I mean, I know what his job is, but he mainly puts his hands on his hips and is like, come on. Yeah. You know, and, and it's good. It fits the material very well. He knew kind of exactly what parts of his range to bring. And everything that makes me go like, really, is mainly the movie's fault. Yeah. For whatever reason, the fact that that um, Volpine peril does not seem to be present works in, I think, his ratings favor here and not against him. Because often we talk about like, well, how typically Quaidy is this? Well, for this particular point in Quaid's career, and I think in like half a season or a season or so, then we're going to be out of DILF territory and into this weird like Ray Liotta and unlawful entry thing that he was trying to do. Spoiler. <laughs> Um, also RIP. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah, this is like, Dennis, why would you do that? <laughs> I can't do it, Karen. What do you want me to do? 
Jesus. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, it doesn't um, it doesn't work against him here. So I also had him in an eight. Nice. So yeah, don't watch this movie. It is not yours, but mine and ours to bear. Indeed. Next time on Quaid in Full, American Dreams. What is he? I'm sorry. In the meantime, drop that hamster into Mrs. Munyon's martini glass. He's earned it. And check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. There's even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Grab the talking stick and go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey, trust me. One hour, see together, gonna be best friends.